you, you, you've acted so much. You're, you're that guy. You're a quote unquote that guy. You're one of these people who's in everything. You're in billions, which I'm in. Um, you're in, this is how much of a that guy you are. You're in Sopranos as two different characters in two different seasons. <laughs> not, only, not only that, both the best doctor in the city. <laughs> oh, both are the best doctor yes. in the city? <laughs> That is the voice of Seth Barish. Seth Barish is my longtime collaborator, friend, actor, director. He he directed all five of my solo shows, uh, including The Old Man in the Pool, which is uh, on stage uh, on, on Broadway right now at Lincoln Center. It is running through January 15th. It must close, by the way. Must close. And, uh, and tickets are, are going uh, very quickly. I always tell people the least expensive way to get tickets I say this to friends and family and everyone is todaytix, todaytix.com. Um, but uh, Seth and I have worked together for a million years. He has an extraordinarily good book about acting um, that that people swear by. Uh, I mentioned in the interview, Pete Doctor from Pixar, uh, my mentor, college mentor, John Clavin teaches it. It's called An Actor's Companion, Tools for the Working Actor. It is it's my favorite acting book. I mean, I, it, 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 yeah, it's my favorite acting book. And, and um, he's the co-artistic director of the Barrow Group uh, in New York City, and it's, which is a phenomenal, phenomenal theater company. Uh, has great acting classes and productions. And we have a great conversation today. Enjoy my conversation with the great Seth Barish. may be the loosest episode of working it out today because uh, my, my, my guest is Seth Barish, who's directed all five of my solo shows, and we've just worked together for, for literally ever. It's funny, like, this is how you and I both always describe our collaboration. We always describe it as a 15-year as a phone conversation yeah. where, like, we never stop collaborating. Yeah, that's right. So, so, so for the listeners, I'll just give, I'll give, like, a super rough overview of your career, and you can sort of correct me where I'm getting it wrong. It's like sure. you uh, studied theater and acting and directing at UCLA in undergrad. Mm -hmm. You, it just so happened you dipped your toe in the comedy world because you were a pianist uh, during college um, at the comedy store before, when you were underage, basically. That's, that's right. And then um, you went on to be uh, actor, director uh, in, Countless things. I mean, they, you you've acted so much. You're you're that guy. You're a quote unquote that guy. You're one of these people who's in everything. You're in billions, which I'm in. Um, you're in. This is how much of a that guy you are. You're in Sopranos as two different characters in two different seasons. <laughs> not, only, not only that, both the best doctor in the city. <laughs> oh, both are the best doctor yes. in the city. <laughs> They're like this guy's oh, the best. Oh my gosh! And then your and then your theater company is called the Barrow Group, not yeah. to be mistaken with the Barrow Street Theater or the Barrow whatever. There's a lot of Barrow things. Yeah. Barrow Group Theater, which I've seen you act and direct. You you put out some of the best theater I've ever seen in my entire life. The, yeah. the plays that you put on are spectacular. And so uh, so to give context to the listener, it's like you're someone who has has worked as a as you know, writer, director, actor, uh, theater, film, television for I, I would say, I would say thirty years, thirty something years. Um, yeah, thirty five. Yeah, five years. Wow. Or so. Yeah, and then we more, and then, more, more. Yeah, close to forty. Forty and, years, definitely forty. And then yeah. what am I get? What am I leaving out? Is there a big thing There's I'm leaving three out? Oh, you're a musician. Yeah, I'm a musician. You, you did a bunch. You do a lot of your own work, and you scored Absolutely. a bunch of stuff. And don't think twice. Yeah. And sleepwalk with me, and uh, you acted in uh, Don't Think Twice as the sort of Lorne Michaels-esque character. Yeah, that's yeah. right. I did that. Um, yeah, and I, so I am uh, do that. I do recording and all that stuff. Also, in terms of comedy, prior to the comedy store, I actually uh, was in a sketch comedy troupe. And, and I don't know if we've ever even talked about this. But, in high uh, school. In high school, yeah. or just after high school. And, and then we had an improv component too. So our, our, our evenings were, you know... Two thirds sketch, one third improv and stuff. Yeah, and uh, and and actually, that was one of the amazing things about when you like our 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 origin story is. Uh, I feel like we should have you know cue the music. Um, <laughs> is that 
and I, and I don't know, I'm curious about your prior to us meeting a little bit, but um, my view of this was I showed up at work at the Barrow Group uh, and by my office, I think I was meeting my wife, Lee Brock, who's the co-artistic director and brilliant. And uh, we, I was, uh, you were outside the door. My memory is that you had a little and backpack. I had a gun, a knife, and <laughs> some poison. <laughs> this this is, got really dark. <laughs> We're going to um, cut this out. We're going to cut this out. But yeah, we had, a, we had a nice meeting. It was great. A little scary. but I had uh, a script, a knife, and intentions. <laughs> said, do you want to direct my play? And I looked at the knife and I went, yes. And then, no. um, what my memory of this is that you were just kind of, I was... You just said, hi, I'm, my name is Mike Probiglia. I'm a comedian. Um, I've been on Letterman. Oh my God, um, and unbelievable. I, this is great. I was like, I was this, like oh. is, this is really quality <laughs> stuff. <laughs> cutting this immediately. <laughs> and then I, I, my recollection, she said something like, yeah, I, I'm, I'm writing a, a, like a play, sort of, but it's like a mixture of stand-up and a play. And I was wondering if you'd be interested in directing it. And I remember saying something to the effect of, well, um, you know, let's uh, maybe sh- show me some of your stuff sometime and I can come see it and everything. And then the next thing that I remember is the very next day, you sent me an email that I think maybe you had written on a plane or something like this. And it said, your money or your, or your, or your life? <laughs> it said, the knife is real. <laughs> don't forget about it. Um, it's, it's, don't, uh, it said, don't disrespect <laughs> me. And then it had a, a picture of a machine gun. And there was a little blood in the corner. Oh my God. I don't know what that was about. Um, it may, probably was cash up. But um, no, the, the, it's, you said something to the effect of... Uh, it was it was a script, and it was a script from a, like a portion of what was to become Sleepwalk with yes. me. But at that time, it was uh, really just material about sleepwalking incidents and material about this relationship that had um, my breakup, yeah, a really hard breakup, I yeah, think. for sure. And uh, but I did not know your voice at all. Yes, I, I, I didn't know what the what your what it was like hearing you talk. And I remember looked at I looked at it and I was like. Okay, it's something. I have no what idea what to make of this. And then you sent me a CD of, is it called Dog Ears? It was a self-released uh, comedy CD, which no longer exists. It's a, an audio format uh, from the <laughs> yesteryear. And it was uh, called Dog Ears. And I recorded it, self-recorded it at the Washington, D.C. in probably 2003, I want to say. Yeah, I, it, no, and the, instantly when I heard it, like a bunch of things clicked for me because the th- thing that struck me most, well, there were a couple things. One is like, oh, this guy's really funny. But the main thing was like, it just feels to me like this guy's just, I, this is just a guy talking. This does not feel performative to me at all, which completely lines up with everything I had been dedicating my life to. The whole origin of the Barrow Group as a theater company was I had seen a play when I was in college at UCLA, a student production, and about uh, half the cast members in this student show were performing in this way where I could not tell at all that it was scripted. Yeah not even remotely. And I felt like, oh my God, I feel like I'm in the room with real people doing real things. And I had such an emotional response to the play. The play, which was, you know, probably flawed and stuff, but I just was like, I was so moved. And immediately I went, more of that. I just want to see more of that. And then I I ended up, you know, forming this theater company with like-minded people just all dedicated to that. And in comes you, who's like, Wow, you're doing it in another form, and you're doing the same thing. It's like I cannot tell that you're performing. So immediately I went, I will. I'm I'm really interested in doing more with this guy. Well, it's interesting that you should say that because the reason why it was a it was an it was a it was a case of you and I were concurrently obsessed with a similar performance style. Yeah, and it just so happened that I was researching all the solo shows being performed around town because I'd written the script for Sleepwalk with me. And I saw Martin Moran's The Tricky Part, which you directed. And I, and similar to how you're describing when you saw a show in college that had this non-performance performance style, sort of what we sometimes describe as invisible design or invisible direction. I just go, yeah, that, that. (laughs) <laughs> like I had seen a bunch of stuff. I had seen yeah. a lot of shows and I was like, that, yeah. I need to meet that person. And what's funny about hearing you describe the young 
23-year-old Mike Birbiglia who is <laughs> who has no sense of himself and his blind ambition. Longer hair, I think. Longer hair and a little bit. And um, I had actually, we're, you know, we're, this is how old this is. We're coming up, uh, tomorrow is the 20 year anniversary of my debut on Letterman. Oh, no kidding. Tomorrow. Wow. 20 years. Happy anniversary. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> uh, but, but so I was drawn to your direction of Martin Moran's show, who Marty, by the way, came to the old man in the pool the yeah. other night. Oh, yeah. But anyway, when I saw that, I was like, well, this is the person who I want to work with. And <laughs> this is the delusion of being a young artist. It's like, and of course he'll want to work with me too. <laughs> <laughs> well, I didn't not want to. No, it was it was one of those things. That I'm kind of, though. something that really intrigues me about it because, you know, on occasion I'm approached by folks that also just a cold approach. And often I have like this spidey sense and I just go, Oh, great. Nice to meet you. And like inside, I'm just thinking like, I, I, I don't think I want, I want anything to do with this right. person. You I got to get out of here. And for some reason that did not trip off that no alarm went oh, that's off. That's interesting. It's, it is pretty interesting to me. Yeah. Because I, cause to the extent where like Lee was like, are you, are you going to do something with him? And I was like, why don't we just, we just kind of, he's just mad he came by, you know, because I was telling her about it. So cut to fast yeah. forward, this is our fifth show together and what do you feel like is different yeah. from this first show, Sleepwalk With Me, and now The Old Man in the Pool, yeah. the fifth I, show, which is at Lincoln Center? A lot. I feel like because of the fact that we've been having this ongoing, what we're calling a conversation, creative you know, collaboration, uh, I think we started to develop over the years a pretty deep group mind. I'm often struck by, you know, I'll have a thought at home, I'll either call you, but let's say you call me for some reason and you're starting to talk about something. And before you even say it, I'm like, I, I wonder if he's going to talk about this because it, mm. it's on my mind. Mm. And you will. And then I'll go, like, yeah, yep, yep, we're totally talking about it. Yeah. And then often I'll, I'll say something and you go, like, it's funny you should say that. I was just thinking about that. Like that, that that's going on with us all the time. Yeah, it's interesting because. Um I feel like, you know, you and I are friends with Liz Allen, who's a yeah. great improviser and improv teacher. And I and she taught me in college and yeah. uh, did a workshop with me in college. And I feel like the principles of improv have served me in my artistic existence more than any single class or study 100%. or anything. So I've, I was just thinking about this at death last, in death last night, it's completely. Yeah. I, it's, it's, there's something about, when you're yes-anding everything around you where, you, where all of a sudden obstacles and bumps kind of go away. Yeah. You, you know, instead of coming against this thing and going, oh no, you're just like, well, that's the thing. So what are, where are we going from there? And it, it shows up in so many ways. Yeah, it's an extraordinary concept, this idea of yes-anding. I feel like, because I, I feel like yours and my relationship, it's a little bit of a chocolate peanut butter meets peanut butter kind of thing, which is a sense that like- Chocolate peanut butter chocolate meets peanut butter. Peanut, chocolate meets peanut butter, peanut butter, Reese's peanut butter oh, cups, oh, you know? Right, right. The, yeah, like okay. where, where, where <laughs> let me tell you about- Peanut butter with Let me knife. tell you about candy. <laughs> I, so there's Rolos and Rolos are caramel and there's chocolate around them. Oh, and then there's good. Twix and that's, nobody Not, really knows what's in that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what we're really so, talking about is Reese's peanut butter cups. Yes, that's right. <laughs> uh, but 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 the chocolate peanut the chocolate meets peanut butter of there's, it all. There's an accident that goes together. Is that what you're going? Yeah, I would say it's that 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 I have a very comedy obsessed existence, um, and uh, with an in, with a lot of interest and intrigue in theater. And I would say you have a very theater obsessed existence with an intrigue and interest in comedy. Yeah, I'd say that's right. And so I think as a result, we're able to sort of speak these two languages simultaneously. Yeah. Speak the language of theater, speak the language of comedy. Yeah. And yeah. then we're able to sort of coalesce, we've been able to make these hybrid shows together yeah, right. that, that sort of use both of those. I'm kind of amazed at how often uh, my time with uh, this, the sketch group that I was together with high school with these two you know, brilliant guys um, who were way funnier than I was. And uh, I, uh, I'm amazed at how often the fundamentals of what we were doing then are showing up in what I'm doing now. Yeah. Constantly. And the same thing with the comedy store. Like, you know, when you're playing piano, 
in an improv and you situation. Used, and this is in the late 70s, early 80s, where like Robin Williams was improvising. Oh, yeah. I, it was I, like I, a murderer's row of people. It was ridiculous. I, I wish I could even remember all the names, but the, the Comedy Store Players, which was the name of the group that showed in the main room on Monday nights. Uh, and I, I didn't play with them. I played with another group. I can't remember their name. But it was you also, played in an alley around the corner where yes, there was it, it was next to, Actually, next to only, a garbage pile. The only thing I always tell about that thing is like, because people, you know, like I mentioned that Rob, and well, just to close off what I was saying before, um, I played with this group that uh, played before the comedy store players went on, or oh, sometimes okay. after. Okay. So I was always there and I could, I could see them. And one night I got to actually play for them because their pianist got sick and, and, nice. and all this. It was nice. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, um, the, uh, uh, I, and Robin Williams notably was not there that night. And I remember just going, Oh damn it. Oh, yeah. um, the funny thing that I always think of with Robin Williams is literally every time I showed up at the club without fail, I was, I worked there for probably like a year and a half. Um, I would go to the backstage, knock on the door, you know, and the open door, it would be Robin Williams. And he'd go, can I help you? Having no idea who I was. And I'd say, oh, oh yeah, I'm the pianist for so-and-so. He goes, oh, great, come on in. Like that. Next week, can I help you? Yeah, I'm the pianist for so-and-so. Oh, great, come on in. <laughs> was like, it never, he never put it never together. Never clocked it. No. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, there was, there was so much. It's so funny. We're talking about group mind. I actually just right here right now thought of this thing with when I played for the comedy store players, there was some kind of bit going on and, it turned into this kind of detective thing and just, I, I was sort of following and, 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 you know, as they did something that was at all suspenseful, I played this like bum, but I'm bum, you know, on, on the piano and everything. And uh, it became like a running gag in, in the sketch. And that at one point they said something and I didn't play it because yeah. I, I think I was just spacing out. Yeah. And like literally the entire group that was involved in the game, like turned to me, just looked at me and went bum, but I'm bum. Oh my like gosh, that. that's great. All like chore completely choreographed. And I was like, Wow. Not only did they have the impulse to do it, which of course I understand, they did the same move. Yeah. They did the same thing. It's like one of those things like, wow, these people are tuned in. It's a crack squad. Yeah, it was really good. And you, I mean, you've taught like an extraordinary group of actors through yeah. the years at the Barrow Group, including Anne Hathaway, Tony Hale. Yeah. Like, I mean, the list goes on and on and on. Leslie Kritzer was here the other night. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Sarita Chowdhury, Pointer Jagannathan, Michael Salt David. There's a lot of people. It's an yeah, extraordinary yeah. list. Yeah. And, um, what do you, when you're teaching actors, what do you find is the uh, the easiest thing to fix? Well, the usually the easiest thing to fix anyway is that I always hate the word fix because it sounds yeah so I know finite. what's the but, but easy, what's the easiest like quick hack on yeah. stuff you know <laughs> I'm making it worse. <laughs> So, so what's, what's the completely hacky, horrible thing you do? <laughs> is so what is the total failure of your students that you challenge and destroy? <laughs> Actually, I, I think I can answer that. I think that typically actors somewhere along the way, understandably, develop a sense of what they think acting is. Mm -hmm. And included in that are things like, well, I think I'm supposed to like have opinions about what the character is like. I think I'm supposed to decide what I'm doing at every moment. I think I'm supposed to decide maybe how, how the character is feeling and all this stuff. And to me, all of that is actually aside from the point Yeah. Um, that I, I suppose I think of acting as, you know, you, you read a script, you figure out what are underlying circumstances, which is simply things like, you know, who are you? I'm a waiter. Where are you? I'm yeah. in a restaurant. Uh, what time of day? What, you know, what happened just before this? Yeah. Think these basics, right? And then you just kind of show up and talk and listen. Yeah. Um, occasionally there's transformational things asked of you. We have to do a dialect or, you know, makeup or something like that. But um, so the actors come in, they have these ideas and they start to kind of do uh, do their thing. You know, they, they execute their ideas and it feels like you're watching somebody executing an idea. And so uh, typically what's happening is I, I, I'm spotting that and Lee, who I, who I teach with is also so brilliant at this, will spot it and then we'll kind of uh, apply techniques that will help them basically get distracted from their ideas and, and let them go so that all of a sudden it's like, oh yeah, there's a person talking right here right now. Yeah, and you and you you're, you have a book on acting that 
is beloved by you know icons in yeah. in art. I mean, yeah. uh, I mean, I mentioned Anne Hathaway who who blurbed the back of the book, but also Pete Docter who is the yeah. who runs Pixar and, and directed Inside Out and Up and and many classics. Yeah, I went to heaven a zillion times once. I was walking with Pete's a friend, a mutual friend of ours, and uh, um, I was walking with him and. Uh, he was asking me, he goes like, so, you know, and he was recording the soundtrack for one of his films. And uh, he said, yeah, you know, I, I, I'm, uh, I, I'm enjoying using your book. And I was like, what? And he goes, yeah. And he pulls out from his wallet this little, like, he had a laminated business card size thing with the, his favorite tips that wow. were all just like, you know. That's incredible. <laughs> I just was like, oh my God, I just went to heaven. No, my, my, <laughs> my, my mentor, John Glavin, who taught me screenwriting, uh, be, I think I believe begins every class with a passage from your book. That's crazy. Yeah, that's just crazy. No, your your book has a ripple effect in in the universe of acting. I think it's it's yeah. it's a real revered text. Yeah, it's interesting. It's it's fascinating. I mean, you must relate to that. Like when you you put something out in the world, and then you're done with it in a way. You're you're off to other things, and then people are like, going, that thing you do." Yeah, and then people steal it, and a more attractive person <laughs> performs it, and then they're very popular and famous. And, and they're Paul Rudd. And then I, and then they're Paul Rudd. <laughs> no, no, it is, no, it is, it, it is an interesting thing when you put something into the world. And uh, for the record, Paul did not steal no, anything. No, no, no. This is, we're goofing yeah. around because of this <laughs> review where, where someone said that if, if, if my show, the new one, becomes a movie, it must star Paul Rudd, not acknowledging that I'm an actor also. <laughs> And that actually, I could I could play the myself role too. <laughs> and they doubled down on the next show, and they, oh, they called back to that thing, like and said something about like we're having a Twitter war oh, about this. And yeah, like, there's I don't no think war. there's any Twitter yeah, yeah, war. Yeah, there's only a one way war <laughs> being waged. Support for Working It Out comes from Aura Frames. We all love taking photos on our phones, right? But there's so many of them. Hundreds, thousands, tens of thousands of photos wasting away in your camera roll. Stop scrolling through so many photos. Start putting them to good use with a unique, stylish digital picture frame from Aura Frames. I got one of them right by my bedside. It's like a slideshow of photos that I really like from my, of my family that sort of scrolls through on this little frame, this little picture frame. I love it. Free unlimited storage. You can add unlimited photos and videos. Invite as many people as you want to a frame. There are absolutely no hidden fees or subscriptions, and it's private. You have complete control over who has access to your frame. Right now, you can save on the perfect gift that keeps on giving by visiting AuraFrames.com. For a limited time, listeners can get $20 off their best-selling frame with code WIO. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com, code W-I-O. Terms and conditions apply. Support for Working It Out comes from Viore. Viore is a clothing company that draws inspiration from the coastal California lifestyle. I was thrilled that they were willing to be a sponsor because I could just talk about how soft and comfortable their clothing is all the time. I mean, I'll read the stuff they told me to say. It's uh, It inspires others to live vibrant, healthy lives. Yeah, sure. Yeah, it does that. But also, my experience is it's very, very comfortable. Viore offsets 100% of their carbon footprint. And since 2019... They've also offset 100% of their plastic footprint. Viore is an investment in your happiness. For our listeners, they're offering 20% off. Ooh, that's good, your first purchase. Get yourself some of the most comfortable, versatile clothing on the planet at viore.com slash burbigs. That's viore.com slash burbigs. Not only will you receive 20% off your first purchase, but enjoy free shipping. What? Free shipping. On any U.S. orders over 75 bucks and free returns. That's viore.com slash burbigs. Discover the versatility of Viore clothing. Often, uh, people will message me and say, you know, how do I, how do I start? telling stories on stage or how do I, you know, I feel like I, you know, I only get three minutes to perform stand up yeah. at an open mic, blah, blah. And it's like, 
I totally sympathize with that because I was there. I lived yeah. that for sure. Yeah. Um, and I would say like, what would be your advice for those people yeah. who say like, I only get three minutes, I only get four minutes. How do I become a storyteller with yeah. this, this brief amount of time? I, I mean, I usually steer people towards, you know, thinking of one thing that happened to them that was meaningful that they uh, wanna communicate, they wanna tell the world about. Um, and it's the, the one thing becomes the anchor for the whole thing. Yeah. That's one of the things that I noticed with, and you and I know, you and I have taught together at Princeton and, and in another number of environments actually. And I think one of the things that we run into often is that people get up and they just, they're just telling stuff, you know, and yep. they, they might be, maybe they're trying to be funny or, they're, or, or they're, they're, they enjoy yeah. a particular image or something and they just like go on and on. A lot of times they talk about how they feel, um, yep. you know, like, oh, this is, I, was, I was so sad about it. <laughs> right. Okay. A lot of adjectives. Lots of adjectives. adjectives and adverbs. <laughs> yes. Yes. I, was, I was hugely, hugely sad. And I was like, okay. I went to this party. It was so crazy. I went skiing on this really on this mountain. Crazy? It was so big, you know. Which, no offense to those to people yeah. who tell stories, like like at a at a party. Yeah, that is a certainly good anecdote to tell and connect with people on. Yeah, yeah. When you're in on stage in front of strangers yeah. who couldn't give less of a fuck about you, <laughs> people want a story that has yeah. some meat to it and yeah. some stakes. Yeah, and and the idea is is that if it really means something to you, then the odds go up it's going to mean something to somebody else. And so, if, if for somebody who's looking for the three minute you know slot version of that, I'd say just think of the thing. And just tell us tell what happened. I, I think it's a natural thing. I think in life, as we are just kind of socializing or going to dinners or whatever, we end up telling stories. And not only that, we cycle back. There's some ones that are the, the go-to things. Like that Robin Williams thing, I must have told that like 50 times in my life. It's, yep. it's a really interesting thing to me. Yeah. You know, it, um, I don't know why, but it's just kind of interesting. And uh, And so... As you tell it, you're 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 gaining practice on telling it, I suppose, um, and then you, you kind of sculpt it automatically, organically. It's not like you're even thinking about it. But then all of a sudden, people sit down to write a story for something official, and it's like they're, all those organic processes just melt, right? And they're like they're overthinking it, and they're they're. The, you know, they it's got way too many words, and and often what's happening when I'm working with folks, and and I, I've seen you do this as well. You're just like, um, if if I gave you like, you know, thirty seconds to tell me the thing, just what's that version? Yes, you know, and then all of a sudden, a lot of things improve usually for people. There's a uh, there's another question that Mabel had is like, yeah. what do you feel like? is the defining difference between what we do with solo plays and with ensemble plays that you've directed. When you're working with a play that somebody has written in a normal way uh, with, you know, where they spend a lot of time writing by themselves and then they, they maybe do a reading of it and all that stuff. By the time you're working on it, it's, it's kind of mostly baked Yes. Um, in solo shows, my experience is not that way at all. People, you're, you're coming, you have like either elements of a story um, or fundamentally this one thing that happened. I, I think in contrary to what we were just talking about, a lot of your pieces evolve in a slightly different way in that you have elements of things that you're kind of throwing up there. And there's a common thread that you'll be aware of, or maybe I'm aware of it as, as I uh, experience it. And then we sort of, that becomes like a, a, a sort of vague organizing principle for the thing. And then somewhere in the process, it becomes clear like, oh, I, I can see where this is going. Yeah. Um, whereas I think in a play, when you get it, uh, that's written, um, it's all done. So there's no dramaturgical part. Mm -hmm. Dramaturgy is, um, refers to, you know, facilitating the writing of something, usually via questions, mm -hmm. You're just asking artistic questions about it. And, uh, and then it, 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 it has a, it has an effect on the shaping of the piece. So it's pretty different with a solo show. There's a lot of shaping going on where there isn't in the... In the well, I'll give people know. an example of that with, with, if they don't understand what you mean by dramaturging. So like, for example, like when Seth and I were first working together and on Sleepwalk With Me, I said, you know, I had this breakup and um, it was my college sweetheart and we fell in love and this way and blah, blah. And I told you a story from it, and you and you said, "Well, I'll echo back to you what I'm hearing. Yeah, what I hear right. from you is, you fell in love with this person, and um, 
and it got very serious. And then you felt like you needed to get out and blah, blah. And, and then what I would hear back is, oh, but what about the part where in the middle of the night I woke up uh, sweating or whatever? And you'd be like, yeah, I, 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 you'd be like, I heard you say that, but it didn't, I didn't take it in as the most meaningful part of it or the part that was my part of my takeaway. Yeah. And so sometimes what, what happens is I'll, you know, I'm just making, I'm sort of yeah. half making up an example. It's like, I'll go, oh, well, I have to really lean on that part so that, yeah. so that the audience, in this case, the audience of one of Seth Barish, Understands that no, that's what it's that's what it's about for yeah. me. That's what this story is about for me. Yeah, absolutely. I like. I think one of the mistakes that I see people making when they're uh, in the position of guiding people in their writing or directing or something like that um, is they think it's their job to give their opinion yes. about what they're hearing. It's good, it's bad, yeah. et cetera. Get rid of that. It's and, great, and, it's terrible. And I don't think that's my job. I think my job is to, I may have, I may have opinions, but my job is to, well, to mirror back, this is what I'm getting. And that leaves the artist in the position to, to just as you articulated, they might kind of go, oh, I'm actually trying to get this other thing across. It's not getting across. Maybe I'll write to that and everything. And there's times, I, I wish I could think of some specific oh. examples, but there's times when you've written something and my first thing when I hit it, I go like, in, in, internally, I'm like, that's never gonna see the light of day. That yeah. is not gonna exist in this piece. Yeah. But you'll, you'll stick with it a little bit. And I've grown to uh, understand that if you or really or anybody is sticking with something, there's usually a reason for it. Yeah. And so I, the way I tend to view it is like, well, maybe anything will end up in the piece. Yeah. It'll be just interesting to see what form it takes. Um, so a great example is, I, mean, I don't wanna give anything away about the show, but um, there's an extended improv thing that you know, happened in live. In the old man in the pool, yeah. Yeah, yeah, in the old man in the pool, that is, just insanely funny, and it was funny the very first time I ever saw you do it. Which Cherry I, Lane Theater, like on off hours. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was doing like a workshop, yeah. working and it you out. Just workshop. doing it, and I remember thinking that was so funny, but I can't imagine that would ever yeah. end up in anything. It's just so wild yeah. and crazy, and uh, and here it is. It's like the it's, the whole thing leads up to it. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's funny. Like I was reminded by my friend Jean Corlitz the other day who saw many iterations of the show mm -hmm. that when she saw early versions of the show, um, I think at City Winery a couple of years ago, yeah. there was a story that I tell about my dog dying. Yeah, oh yeah, I remember that. She said to me at the time, she goes, take that story out about the dog. <laughs> <laughs> she goes, take that story out about the dog. Nobody wants to hear about a dead dog. No, you know what she said? <laughs> It was a really interesting note. She goes, I, it, this is a helpful dramaturgical note because it's actually not, uh, it's not a judgment of the story itself. Yeah. She goes, there's nothing wrong with the story. It's an interesting story. It's about when I was a teenager and my dog died, got a hit by a motorcycle. It was devastating. And she goes, I can't come back from it. Oh, wow. She goes, I'm, the next 10 minutes, I'm thinking about the dog. Oh, that's so interesting. That's so and, interesting. And that's an, that is an, that is, and for, for the creatives listening, because there's a lot of creatives who listen, like that's a helpful way to give a note actually, yeah. is that like when you said X, Y, Z thing, it's my experience, that's not right. it's good, it's bad, it's that's boring, right. it's funny. That's right. My experience was I couldn't pay attention. Yeah. Because I'm just thinking about your yeah. dead dog. That's right. And that leaves you in a position, it doesn't mean you're automatically getting rid of, I mean, of the dog as a Turns out, it turned that, out it was not in the show. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. It, it, it made its way out eventually. It, it could have, you know, found its way there if it was a different thing. And and the the point being that you're hearing the effect it has on somebody, and then that puts you in the driver's seat of like, do I do I want to experiment with letting it go, or do I want to change what it is so that it has a different effect on people? Absolutely. But I think, that, or do I want to move it later in the show? Yeah, because. She her feedback is she can't pay attention anymore. Yeah, but maybe that's in the final ten seconds. Yeah, she's not going to need to. <laughs> that's right. Which is uh, why I brought you here tonight. We're going to change the end into the show now. Is like by the way, I have a dog. Had a dog. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> Had a dog is a really short version of that story. <laughs> it's the subtitle. <laughs> I have a dog. I had a dog. Um, <laughs> such like a Stephen Wright version of that of that one. Um, you were a huge fan of Stephen Wright, right? Oh my gosh! Yeah, yeah. me too. I, that's, that's another place we yeah, overlap. Yeah, that's a common. Yeah. The, the also, 
I, I think there's a couple areas there. Like we also, both you and I are a huge fan of Richard Pryor's like vintage yes, stuff. Yes. And, and there was something that we responded to about how just human it was. Yeah. And how um, it was like his shows were not all glitzed up. Like a lot of times whenever we're, we're you know, shooting a special or something nowadays, they have all these camera moves and all this stuff. You used a term the other day that I loved. I'm going to remember forever. Happy camera. It's like, like a, it's like- Camera happy. Camera happy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. we were talking um, about directing the current show potentially long-term right. for, for film or that's for right. concept film. And I was film. discussing a possible shot and you're like, oh, it's a little camera happy. And, and 100%. And then you look at these shows where Richard Pryor would just come on stage and just, it, it couldn't have been less glitzy. Yeah, he's just doing his thing, and it's it's incredible. They were just rolling camera on that stuff. Right. Richard Pryor live, Richard Pryor live from the Sunset Strip. Um, this is a uh, was Gary asked this question: Was there a moment of our working together in all these you know fifteen sixteen years where you worried about something, but you couldn't tell me, or you felt like you couldn't tell me? Um, there are temporarily those things. I think a lot. But the, but what I mean is temporarily is like I'll, I'll I'll have a note or a thought, and I will go through this thing of like, I don't know if this is the right time to mention that. I'm just gonna wait till the right time. Yeah. Um. And and usually the time will come or it won't, and the note falls away and it's fine. But there is a sense of like you know I, I'm definitely. I don't know, maybe I, I, it's genuine for me and it's also, I guess, part of my job. I'm protective of your creative process. Like, I, the last thing I want to do is come in and, you know, screw it up. Yeah. Um, so there's a lot of times where, you know, but personally now, there's not times when I'm like, I have pretty open door with you saying anything that, you know, I think and vice versa, I hope. Oh, yeah, yeah. I mean... There, it's funny that during Old Man in the Pool, there was like a few times where we have very open lines of communication. Like I was just like, Seth, I can't hear about this one thing anymore. <laughs> That's right, absolutely. And because I did, my brain gets clogged. Totally. Because I'm I'm memorizing this 80 minute monologue and I'm making changes and tweaks and I have to hit this moment. I have to be at this part of the stage for the yeah. lighting to hit me a certain way. Yeah. But I'm also thinking about how our best friend from childhood died. And so I'm, I'm like, yeah. I, there's a lot, I'm a servant to many masters. Absolutely. And, and I think it's actually important. I, one of the things I said to you and I, I stand by it is, I think um, healthy pushback is great. Uh, yeah. I, I think that the healthy part is important. Yeah. I think it can be unhealthy, but I think it's, you know, when you're collaborating with someone, if something's going on that's counterproductive, it's so helpful to go like, just to identify it. That's counterproductive. Yeah, and then you know, okay, great. We'll we'll take a different path here. Um, there's a lot of times where people will sometimes push back unhealthfully, where like the worst case scenario is you know somebody who's maybe I don't know uh, mean or, or a rageaholic, or, for, example. for example. Yeah, um, we've worked uh, with we. You and I have <laughs> occasionally um, interfaced with people who have different temperaments than, than you and I this, have. This conversation is a study in not saying Not name. saying what it is, but it's. <laughs> but we've definitely had a, oh, yeah. a handful of people over the years who we've crossed paths with where yeah. you and I, I think, have a very similar reaction to people who have rage issues mm. and anger issues and kind of, you and I never shout, for yeah. example. Yeah. Um, I don't think we make ad hominem attacks on people. No, we don't no. say mean things to people. No. Um, on the job, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. And and uh, have you like over the years in general, like as an actor director, how do you react when you interface with someone who has something like God, that? God, it's uh, it's really hard for me. It's really painful that. Um, the project, I won't go into the details, but the project that we worked on where there was a, one of the issues was there was a person on the staff who was truly a rageaholic and there was a lot of rage that went uh, our way. And um, I was literally sobbing at home on four Aww. different four different occasions at home, like could like uncontrollably. It, yeah. it was, it's, just, it's just like, I'm taking it, I'm taking it, I'm taking it. And then... I, because I don't know how to deal with it in the moment. I actually, somebody once was asking me like for coaching advice um, on working with an actor. They were they were uh, going to be working with an actor, and he had heard that this actor is like really trouble. 
And so he set up a coaching with me, and I didn't know what the coaching was about. And so I showed up and go, yeah, what did you want to work on? He goes, well, I'm working with so-and-so. I just need any tips for that. And I thought, I told him, I said, first of all, this coaching is over because I need to take that class. Yeah. I don't know. Sign what, me up. I, sign me up. I, I wish that there was an expert on like, you know, managing that. It's so hard. It, it's, it's so counterproductive, that kind of rage. I remember when we did the, the first meeting for Don't Think Twice, um, I said to the crew, the whole crew, said, everybody, this, this film has a no assholes policy. <laughs> and and uh, you're, so you, you don't be mean to anybody. You don't shout, yeah. shout at anybody. Yeah. And if you do that, you're not going to work on the, show, in the movie anymore. Wow. And because I, I just, I can't, you know, I'm 44, you're a little older than me. I can't do, I can't yeah. do that anymore. Yeah. Like I, I, I've reached a point, I'm just like, I can't. Yeah, I, I can't either. It's not, and the good news is that if you kind of keep doing this thing, you're, you're able to kind of find the people that you work really well with and then keep it going. And then that happens less and less and less. Can we, t for the person listening who goes, oh, my job is like that in this way, blah, blah, blah. Can we teach anything through the podcast that's helpful for dealing with those people? Dealing with the trouble people who are, who are yeah mean Gosh. mean, mean co-workers. I'm curious. What would you what would you say? I think that fundamentally all you can do uh, is uh, be really honest about how yeah. what the person's saying is making you feel. Yeah, and if it continues, then you maybe have to leave. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think 100%. it's like a two-step process. That's what I would do certainly differently now. I would, I would, I would, I, the second I identified it, I'd sit down and I'd say, I get this is going on and, and this is not about, uh, to the person I'm talking to, I'm saying, this is not about you being wrong or your opinion being wrong or any of that stuff. Um, it's, it's just a conflicty thing and I, I it doesn't work. I don't think it works for our process. It doesn't work for my process. So that's that has to change immediately, or it's just not right. Yeah, I, I think that that's really important. It's funny because when I um, called two uh, two friends of mine who are who are like really high profile directors, um, and the first when I was describing what was going on, because I was like, you know, what what do, what do we do? <laughs> and they, and <laughs> well, they, you and I were working with someone who was very angry and yeah, that's tough, right. challenging, that's right. and mean and, to us. And they both said independently, "Fire him immediately." Yeah, yeah. And yeah. we're like, "What?" Uh, you know, it's interesting. But yeah. I think that you're right. You just sit down and talk honestly. Support for Mike Birbiglia's Working It Out comes from Helix Sleep. Helix has been with this podcast from the very beginning. We are huge Helix mattress fans over here. Let me tell you a few things that are great about Helix Sleep mattresses. They are fiberglass free. Unlike other brands, Helix mattresses do not contain fiberglass, which can be harmful to your health. As you may have seen in the news or on social media, there have been a number of health issues and lawsuits related to fiberglass and mattresses. You know, actually, I used, to, I used to have a mattress that was pure fiberglass. It was just, it was literally a bed of fiberglass. No longer. I sleep on Helix mattresses, which are fiberglass-free. Helix is offering 20% off all mattress orders and two free pillows for our listeners. Go to helixsleep.com slash burbigs. That's helixsleep.com slash burbigs. This is their best offer yet, and it won't last long with Helix. Better sleep starts now. No, now. Working It Out is supported by Squarespace. Squarespace is an all-in-one website platform for entrepreneurs to stand out and succeed online. You can upload video content, organize your video library, and showcase your content. On beautiful video pages, you can even access your video library by adding a paywall to your content. My God, Squarespace is keeping up with the times. They're the forerunners of the industry. They're way ahead of us and right with us. I made up that slogan. 
I should point out that this is an ad for Squarespace, but I love Squarespace. Our website for Thank God for Jokes was Squarespace. Our website for Stand Up and Vote was Squarespace. Couldn't recommend it more highly. We use it all the time. Go to squarespace.com for a free trial, and when you're ready to launch, head to squarespace.com slash burbigs, B-I-R-B-I-G-S, to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. That's squarespace.com slash burbigs to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. This is a slow round. Nicknames you had growing up that were very good or very bad. Uh, did not like Seath. Oh, which is oh, what gosh. I was, I was called mostly. Seath? Yeah, I don't know what it is, but <laughs> back in the day, the name Seth, S-E-T-H, people could not say. They could, I was either Zeth or Seath. Okay. Like they could not say Seth. Is uh, is Seath some kind of word I don't even understand? No, like the, seething in, in with college, anger it actually or something? Turned into, like, it was a nickname that I started to like in college. What happened is I, was, uh, I went to UCLA and I was in the uh, Hugh O'Brien Awards, which was this thing where they select, you know, their favorite students maybe and, and we do a scene showcase in front of a bunch of celebrities and uh, different celebrities get up and introduce people and the person who introduced um, my uh, scene was Hugh O'Brien uh, who was he played Wyatt Earp on television he was a, he was like a you know big old TV guy and uh, it, it this you know the theater there sat about 1400 or something like that and uh, he got up and he said our next scene uh, uh, features Seath this is absurd this is an absurd story I don't know how your brain gets there how your brain even arrives at that I'm gonna move on from this can you think of a time that you were so scared you ran away oh yes Um, many sadly um, I remember when you were performing in Atlantic City. I think we were working oh on. Oh my Don't, gosh! I think we were working on. Think over jokes. Think over jokes, and you were there, and you had a. And of bit course, because we have group mind, I know exactly what you're talking about immediately. Yeah. You had a. You had. You referenced Hillary Clinton as a as a as a some yeah. kind of a reference. Yeah. And some. And George Bush, I think. Yeah, and yeah. some guy from the back in this big room in Atlantic City started screaming, "Die!" Yep. And it was weird, and oh, nobody would. And 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 then yeah. and we went there to work on the show, and you abandoned the show immediately. You just started doing just, other stuff. I just started doing other material. I just like, did best of <laughs> karaoke, <laughs> karaoke Mike Birbiglia. I was like, and I'm crack just, it, please. Yeah, 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 like. yeah, exactly. I mean, I was just doing like, and yeah, I was, uh, I was doing like, and, then, and I'm a bear, etc. But but the thing that I remember is that afterwards, you know. I was just like brought up. I was like, oh, it's kind of crazy about the thing. And you were shaken. I remember you said you almost left the stage. I thought I was going to get shot. Yeah. So I, for whatever reason, I'm on stage in Atlantic City when you're talking about, and I hear this guy go, die, die, die. And it was in the back of the room, total darkness. And it was so menacing. And apparently someone told me later, he was saying, we didn't die since 9-11. Yeah. He repeated it over. <laughs> he was too drunk to get the yeah. other part out. <laughs> but but I heard that that's the intent of what he was saying. We didn't die since 9-11. But all I heard was die, yeah. die, die. It was his defense of George W. Bush. We yeah, didn't yeah, die yeah. since 9-11. Yeah. <laughs> Which, by the way, <laughs> we didn't all die. I mean, is that the scenario? <laughs> it was going to possibly happen. All 300 million people die? Then you should vote for it's them. It's the leftovers. <laughs> it's a lot of that's, that's a pretty low bar. It could be a good campaign slogan. You, you, you're not all dead. Right, you're like, not okay. all dead. Vote for me. We're not all dead. Um, yeah, so he said, die, die, die. And I literally thought I was going to get shot. Yeah. And I stayed on stage because yeah. I, I was doing my job. Yeah. Um, but but uh, yeah, so that was the time. I, yeah, I was, I was going to run away. Um, I know the answer to this, but... but uh, Five. <laughs> All right, I'll go to the next one. Um, no, it's uh, <laughs> uh, what's the sickest you've ever gotten? Oh, I'm sure you're thinking of. Uh, the, I went, uh, I went on my uh, honeymoon to Africa, 
And uh, is this what you're thinking of? Yeah. Yeah. It, it was one of those things where like I was so, you know, when you go going to Africa, it's a different place and you go to the, uh, I guess it's the center of disease control and they tell you all the shots and stuff you sure. have to take. And you Malaria learn, and all Oh my God, things, you learn yeah. about all these things. Yeah. And the big thing uh, felt like, you know, malaria is like the, the big thing. Yeah. And so it was like, oh, don't, don't get malaria. And so I, I, uh, I just became obsessed with not getting malaria. I actually mm -hmm. went and bought, there's this stuff called 100% DEET, which yes. is uh, the stuff the mosquito repellent is like made out of, but oh this was 100%, it's like fully toxic. Right. And I literally poured it all over my body oh in my the bathroom gosh. of the airplane so that I would not oh be bitten gosh. by a mosquito. Long story short, I was, not only was I bitten by a mosquito, I must've been bitten getting off the plane. It was like, because- you got it immediately. Well, you get, I got it nine days later and it has like a 10 day gestation period. Absurd. Uh, I went down hard and uh, it, it, you know, I was taking the preventative, I think they're called prophylactic drugs. It's a, a I think the stuff I was taking was called larium. It's this, it was a pill that you take like, you know, twice a day. This one, are you in Kenya? I forget what country uh, you're this in. Was, well, Kenya was where I got bit, okay. but I didn't. I never noticed a mosquito bite or anything. But I so have like nine days later. In nine days later, country. I was in Uganda. Okay, and I was I was walking on this I was walking on this hike that was like a three mile hike, and I'm a hiker, you know. I was like this, and as I was going, I was like, God, it's really hot. And I was like, it's just like, oh, this Africa place is hot. And then, <laughs> this Africa place and then, is hot. What a great observation. <laughs> and. <laughs> <laughs> wow, this man is astute. But the thing that I that I was noticing about it is like I was I was this, at this place called the Bogoti Swamp, and I went there to see chimps. I've been obsessed with chimps yeah. ever since I was a little kid, and I was like, oh my god, I, I want to see a chimp. I want to see a chimp, and I was it was just so hot, and I, and all of a sudden I heard the guy in front of me goes chimp scat, you know, and he's pointing, and there's fresh chimp scat, right? And I was like, Poop. I don't give a fuck. Poop. I am so hot. I, I got to lie down and everything. It yeah. turned out I was like having a hugely high fever. And long story short, I ended up like getting taken to a clinic uh, in the middle of Africa, no running water, no electricity, uh, just you know nowhere there and was four days in the clinic. And uh, Lee was responsible for like going in town and getting water and everything. And, uh, and you know, so I was there and then I, I slowly came back, but I lost... Oh gosh, I lost about like thirty-five pounds, which I did not have to lose, and uh, it was it was pretty nasty. That would be a really bad case scenario for a honeymoon, is if your husband dies. It would be bad. I mean, that's really like <laughs> talk about good news, bad news week. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you ever do that as a moth story, which I think you should. You the, should blow that out for a moth story for oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, because yeah. think about we talk about we talked about earlier about like. You know, what makes a good story? What yeah. makes an engaging story? I'm yeah. immediately hooked in that story. Yeah. It has the specificity yeah. of the deet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It has the specificity of being in the, the airplane bathroom and putting yeah. it on that yeah. you're nervous about getting malaria. Uh, yeah, yeah. Then it has the plot point of you get malaria. Mm. Then it has the unintended, you know, like unexpected consequence of you're in a clinic that has essentially no doctors or one doctor yeah, yeah. and- yeah. And, there's and, so this, many, and of course, the stakes are the highest. There's so death, many life and death. The, the other thing is that uh, the tour that we were on basically left us there to die. <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> they just like, they're like, well, we have to go on with the tour. So good luck. You know, they just took off. And then I think two days later, they realized they shouldn't have done that. So they sent this guy back, but they were now like, you know, two days away of travel, they sent a guy back to sort of be the representative who sat there. And then- That's it, a breathtaking story. It is, it is amazing. It actually does have an endpoint because what happened was I, uh, I was there, the peak of our trip was to see the gorillas and be, be out there in the wild yeah. with them and everything. And I couldn't walk. I mean, I couldn't, you know. And so uh, I had, they were at this gorilla place for like five days. And in the course of five days, I went from, I can't walk to being able to go on the trek. And uh, everybody in our group had been having trouble seeing gorillas. They saw them like, you know, either way far away or they're in bushes and they, they couldn't make them out. And we were up there and the the guide just says, I'm so sorry, they're, they're, um, we're not gonna see them because it seems like they've gone towards the border and we weren't allowed to go into Zaire. Yeah. And 
then this tracker just kind of shows up and he says, you know, to the to the whisper something to the guy, and the guy just goes, Oh, they're here. And we walk through bamboo, like about six foot of the they cut through it, and there's nine gorillas hanging out oh in this pasture. And I mean the silverback was six feet away from me. No way. Oh yeah. It was unbelievable. Six feet away from me. Six feet. I measured it. I mean, I was like, I that is ridiculous. And it was I mean, how, I, how I, come you weren't? Were you afraid? No, uh, it's a habituated troop. The, in other words, the, the way they do it is they find a troop, and then they, they or they they have found a troop, and then every day they track from where they saw them the day before. So they're just they go to where they were the day before, and then they with the tracker they find out where they went through the course of the day. And so hiking around, you see oh this okay. is where they slept and everything, and you find them. I actually asked. I, I wanted. to see an unhabituated troop. I thought, I want to see the real right. thing. And I asked the guide that. And I said, have you ever seen one? And he goes, once. And I said, what's it like? And he goes, let's just say, I'm glad it was not my day to die. Oh my gosh. And I was like, oh yeah, okay, I'll pass on that. <laughs> but yeah, anyway, it was mind blowing. And, and you know, I was just sobbing with happiness and it was great. You and I have this, another thing in common, which is we're both obsessed with wildlife. Yeah. And I think that there's a relationship between wildlife and art, Yeah, which is to say that, um, there's behavior yeah. and there's instincts from yeah. wildlife that we observe that's so unadulterated and so yeah. un, un kind of thought through yeah. and so uh, unselfconscious yeah. that I'm drawn to it. I think you are too. Yeah. Like, yeah. So my daughter and I watched March of, March the, of Penguins the Penguins recently. Yeah, yeah. And, and my takeaway from it was we're all just penguins. <laughs> and I, when, I get, when, I, when I get on stage doing the old man in the pool, I'm just a penguin walking out to a thousand penguins saying, isn't it crazy being a penguin? <laughs> the final thing we do is called Working It Out for a Cause. And is there an organization that you like to contribute to and I will contribute to them and can link to them in the show notes? Yeah, sure. Um, I'm always happy to contribute to any food bank and City Harvest is a great one. You know, uh, City Harvest is uh, cityharvest.org, 40 years rescuing food for NYC. Yeah, that's right. I mean, you know, people should should be able to eat. This is uh, this is going to be the first of many uh, working out episodes with Seth Barra, so stay tuned. Yeah. Um, and uh, Seth doesn't do any social media or anything like that. So you, yeah. you the only way you can follow him is really to show up at his work, place of work and <laughs> give him a CD, a compact and, disc and of tell your him that comedy. You Letterman. <laughs> But uh, you can uh, you can you can see our show, The Old Man in the Pool, or or any number of Barrow Group productions, which are ah, man, just you truthfully follow the Barrow Group. Yeah. Um, Barrowgroup.org. Yeah, the, the, just an amazing theater organization, in New York City. Uh, great actors, great directors, great productions, and great classes. Yeah. Um, thanks, Seth, for being my friend and collaborator all these years. Thank you, Mike. Working it out because it's not done. That's going to do it for our episode with Seth Barish. His book is called An Actor's Companion. It's so good. You can see our show, The Old Man and the Pool, at Lincoln Center right now through January 15th. Our producers of Working It Out are myself, along with Joseph Berbiglia and Peter Salamone. Associate producer Mabel Lewis, consulting producer Seth Barish. Wait a minute. He's the guest on this, and he's the consulting producer. That's not fair. That's how you get booked on the show. You just you work on the show and then you're a guest. Assistant producer Gary Simons and Lucy Jones. Sound mix by Ship Saren. Supervising engineer Kate Polinsky. Special thanks to Marissa Hurwitz and Josh Upfall. My consigliere is Mike Berkowitz. Special thanks to Jack Andonoff and Bleachers for their music. I'm demanding a Bleachers album before the end of the year. I'm doing it on Twitter. I've, I've been very hostile to my friend Jack on Twitter. I've also been demanding he hashtag calls me back. Uh, you can join that hashtag on at Burbigs, hashtag Jack Antonoff calling me back. Special thanks to Jay Hope Stein, my wife, the poet. Her book is called, the, uh, called Little Astronaut. A lot of the poems actually were in the new one, but it has a whole bunch of other poems that are fantastic. It's at your local bookstore, perfect for the holidays. Special thanks, as always, to my daughter, Una, who, who built the original radio fort made of pillows. Thanks most of all to you who are listening. 
Thanks for all the feedback and the nice comments we get on the podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please go on Apple Podcasts. Give us a star rating. It'll take you 30 seconds. You can say one of your favorite episodes. I always find this with podcasts is you don't know where to begin. Like, we've done 90 episodes. It's like, well, where do you start? For me, I always say, like, well, I would listen to the Hassan Minaj episode. I would listen to... Maybe Hannah Gadsby was a fun one. I think the Natasha Leone one was really fun. Uh, there's all there's a bunch of them, but the, but you could say what your favorite one was. Um, for example, the Seth Barish episode. That would be a perfect place to start. Thank you most of all to you, the listeners who support our little show here. Tell your friends, tell your enemies. Maybe this winter you see one of your enemies shoveling snow in their driveway, and you could help them shovel, and that might clear the air. But you, you know it would be more helpful than that. Tell them about this podcast you enjoy where a comedian works out jokes and material and process with other creatives. And then let, let them get back to their shoveling because there's work to be done. See you next time, everybody. <laughs>